Christ is risen. He is risen we'll continue our, uh, before we begin, we started back in with First Peter. Uh, questions? That you have before we want to get started? Christine has no questions. She's got it. All right. Um, I, one thing from last time that we were talking about in uh, chapter 1, so 1 Peter 1, when we were talking about the prophets who searched carefully, diligently, searching their own writings, their own prophecies to find out about Christ. And we said that, I mean, if, if the prophets are studying the scriptures, we probably should too. I mean, they, like, who has more need to be searching the scriptures, them or us? The guys who wrote it? Or I think we can argue that we need all the more. Um, just so we talked about what that looks like. What, what does the, the careful study of scripture look like? Um, I wanted to share something with you. Uh, so 1987, I would have been eight years old um, out and spent the summer out of the farm. That summer I happened to write down, uh, keep a little bit of a journal. Um, and, and it was interesting because the, I mean, the, the rhythm on the farm was, was pretty, there's some regularity to it, but there was a lot of variety. But so this is in June, um, describing the beginning of the day when I got up, grandpa was already done already. That's, I apologize for the eight-year-old hand. Uh, uh, was already done milking, so I got dressed and we ate breakfast, then we read the Bible. That was not unusual. That was the normal beginning of the day. It could have been just about, except for the that I slept through milking. It wasn't normal, <laughs> um, which you'll see uh, in another one. Um, but that 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 pattern uh, of life. I mean, and, and there was something there on the farm that created necessitated a pattern. Needed maybe the cows needed to be built. Um, we needed to eat breakfast. Um, we also needed to, uh, and so. The, the pattern was after breakfast, every time you go and grab the Bible off the top of the refrigerator, you bring it down, you usually had the meditations along with it. Um, but you have, and I'm pretty sure that summer, um, well, I, I did have a couple during this time that my, one of my brother, a brother and a sister were also staying out there, so it might not have just been the two of us, but it sounds like it was just the two of us for breakfast. Because I know the, the day before this, I think it said I had to wake up my brother after we got back in for milking. And then I had to wake up my sister after breakfast. <laughs> Older brother and sister. But, um, but we read the Bible. Me and Grandpa. Um, so, and then this was, this was normal after breakfast every single day. Right? Um, uh, just not related to reading the Bible at all, but I just, the same, this is just like a couple days before this, was, um, again, at this one, after milking, we went cultivating about two, got about ten rows done, then the cultivator stopped, and it wouldn't start, so I had to pull it, and we tried starting it in the field, as this little uh, Alice Chalmers little thing with a cultivator on it, um, tried starting it in the field to get it to pull it to start, uh, that didn't work, so I had to pull it, and the only way I could have, I, I mean, I wasn't <laughs> that was on the other tractor, uh, so eight years old. So I know that I was driving it by this time. Um, it's a unrelated, but interesting, you might find. Um, but here, so here's another day later on. This is 
at the end of September, so this is on a weekend that I must have been there at the farm, September 27, uh, 1987, so the month before the Twins won the World Series. <coughs> Big year for us. Um, but just, just look at this, so this is Sunday morning. When I woke up, Grandpa was still sleeping, so I got dressed and went outside. A little later, came in, Grandpa was coming to the bathroom. We went back outside, got the cows, or I went back outside, got the cows in. After milking, we had breakfast. After breakfast, we got ready for church. Then we went to church. After church, we had dinner. About two hours after we ate, we had company. They stayed for about an hour after they left Grandpa rested while I read out of the Bible. Um, why do you suppose an eight-year-old thought of doing that, had any idea to do that? But there was a pattern set. Yeah? Um, I mean, I think that's just, I'm just so grateful for, for that example that, that was set, the, the, the routine, but also to see, you know, um, it makes me think, you know, do I, I also, so this summer, this is the summer of 87, summer after my grandma died, and it, it's still kind of what, but I basically moved in, in the bedroom with him, and roomed with him that summer, and I think the summer after that, uh, some roommates with my grandpa, um, and very often, when I went to bed, he was up reading. And when I got up in the morning, he was up reading. As far as I knew, he read all night. <laughs> um, just a tremendous, tremendous example. So I think that, one, um, it is a good example for all of us, but also just, it's, I think it should probably prompt us to to ask ourselves what example do we set? Like, do our kids, do our grandkids see that we search the scriptures? And that we're continuing to study? I mean, I think that's a big deal, you know? There's grandpa's Bible, not just the one that, that collects dust, and that's cute to look through, but what is, where is the one that he, that he reads, for example? Uh, we'll talk, uh, that'll kind of come back up when we talk about um, the patterns that we'll talk that's coming up here in this chapter. All right? Um, but we should, number four talks about the angels doing this too. So we talked about the prophets searching the scriptures and, you know, this is even, the, even the prophets are searching the scriptures, but he's got this note at the end of verse 12. Things into which angels long to look. So what he was talking about was, you know, what was revealed to the prophets, that they were serving not themselves but you. So the prophets' writings were not for themselves. This wasn't for their own, only their own benefit. It certainly did benefit them. But it was for you. They were writing it for you, including you, right? Um... And they're searching into the things that you've now heard through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. The apostles have preached to you. And these things that you've heard from the prophets that preached to you, that the prophets looked into and longed to see, even the angels long to look in. The word there is like they, they kind of, you know, when someone turns, they kind of turn their head to look in, like you're kind of peering in. They, 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 they long to... to to search these things. Why angels? Think of it. The angels, they're not, they're not the object of, our, of the salvation that Jesus won. 
they're not the object of the message, they're the messengers. They like it's a you know, I mean, why isn't it it's not it seems to be not just even a job for them. They're not even the they're not even the recipients. See, um, yeah. Because they are so in tune with the will of God that they love what he loves. Um, but it's not, you know, so like you think of um, you know, the, the, the pastor should read the Bible, right? Pastor should read the Bible and not, yes. Um, but he has a double reason to, right? And, and the bigger one for him for reading the scriptures is not because he's a pastor. The bigger reason for him to read it is because he's an object of the salvation that Christ won. He is a, a sinner who needs saving. That's why he reads the Bible, first and foremost. Um, but the angels don't have that part of it. You know, but they still, they still look into the scriptures. Um, let's talk about the angels. Um, recall their place in the gospel story. So they have a place. Um, these passages here, I've, I've got these up here. Um, these Exodus 25. And this isn't, this first one isn't even actual angels. I should make this bigger so you can see it. I'm guessing that that would be helpful. That better? A little better? The cherubim, I can make it bigger. The cherubim shall set out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings, their faces to one another toward the mercy seat. There you go. There you go. And you shall set the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testament. So remember, this is the tabernacle that they build. In, in, these aren't angels, it, in, live angels that are on there. What are they? They're, they're, they're forms of angels. But question is, why does God put angels on top of the, why does he put the cast cherubim on top of the ark? What is the ark? The mercy seat of God. It's the place of God's mercy. This is the place where they entreat God for mercy. And he comes to them in mercy. And the angels are there. It's like they're kind of standing guard. They're watching over. They're, they're involved in it. But it, again, it's not for them. But, they're, but God depicts them as being, I, I don't know, around, watching, checking it out. Um, but again, these are, these are cast ones. We, but we've got an, another example here. Oh, now I made it too big. In the previous one, aren't they protectors? Too? Yeah, kind of a protector. Yeah, as they're, as they're kind of perched over it and like, like guarding it, sort of. Yeah. And I think that's sort of a, a role that they play. Um, so here then, and you might be familiar with this, we read this on Trinity Sunday uh, from Isaiah 6. Isaiah sees this vision of the throne of God in heaven, right? And, and it says, above him stood, I saw the Lord God. And it says, above him stood the seraphim. So again, then now, now here in the vision, and now he describes these angels, each with six wings and with two they cover their faces and with two they, 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 they're around his throne in awe and reverence toward God. They call to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. And we imitate their song in the divine service when we sing holy, 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 because we're in the presence of God. We're not angels, but we sing with them because we're in the same place. Um, and the foundations of the thresholds took, uh, shook, houses filled. But then, um, so, so Isaiah says, I don't belong here. I'm a, I'm a sinner. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the king. I'm ruined. 
And then what happens? Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. So he's not the source of this salvation, this mercy, but he comes bearing it, right? And he takes the, the, the coal from the altar, touches his mouth. Remember, I'm a man of unclean lips. So he touches his mouth and says, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. So, there, so here it depicts them involved in, in carrying the, the gospel, the forgiveness of sins from God to the individual. And I think that suits their role, their name, the name angel means. Remember this? It's messenger. They're, they're like a... a, a uh, yeah, a herald, uh, uh, someone making an announcement, a messenger. That's what, that's what the term angel means. Um, which, going back to First Peter, just so that we see it, um, uh, maybe you can kind of see it in Greek. Uh, not big enough. Again, I'm not trying to teach you Greek necessarily, but uh, maybe it's still too small. Angeloi is the word for angels. When you have the word for preached the good news over here, or announced to you, and then also the good news, both of these words, you just see these double, these two letters here, these double gammas. That's where we get the NG, you know, that's how you say two Gs in a row in Greek. It's NG, NG, like that. There it is. They announced to you the good news to you, the good announcement to you. Same thing here. It's based on the same root. So angels being messengers of the salvation that God has accomplished. So um, then what else do we see in the New Testament then? What do we see the angels doing? When do you see angels? So, yeah, Mary Elizabeth, so there's angel Gabriel announcing. There's, there's a good example of them being a messenger. Um, Gabriel to Mary and Elizabeth announcing the, the birth. And then, where else here? Shepherds, Christmas, right? They're in a multitude of the heavenly hosts. They, they get this position of getting to, they get, they get all the good announcements. Uh, they get all the good lines. Um, for to you to this day in the city of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Fantastic. Uh, the angels, when else do you see angels in the New Testament? Uh, when Jesus did descended, did they come after when he had descended? Did they kind of help after he spent that time? You, you have him showing up to help Jesus uh, in the Gospels itself. Um, a couple of times. One when Jesus is in the wilderness. Yeah. Right? So after the devil left him, then the angels came and attended him. Only after he defeats the devil with the word of God. Then the, the, the angels don't come and whoop up on the devil while they're, while they're going at it. Jesus, um, Jesus deals with the devil, defeats temptation, and then the angels come and help him. And then the other, the other time that Jesus does something very similar, or the angels do something similar to Jesus, or Jesus? Garden of Gethsemane. Then they show up there too, uh, to assist him. But then, when else do they show up to announce things? 
Easter. Yeah? Who is the one? So they, they show up, the tomb is empty, and who tells them that Jesus is not here, he's risen? That's the angels get to do that too. And then, 40 days later, they're looking up into heaven, and they're like, where'd he go? And then the angels come up and tap him on the shoulder and say, guys, what are you looking at? He's not, he's, he's descended into heaven, and he'll come back in the same way. Um, they get this, these, these momentous events in Jesus' life, and they get to stand there as, as uh, uh, nuncios, uh, telling them the, the story. Fantastic. Why? So, so these, these, these creatures who get these, these critical roles, but they're not, it, it, it's not for them. But they rejoice at it. And they, you know, and so it just, and I don't know, I don't the Bible doesn't tell us as much as we would like to know about angels. But here's a, I think this is a very useful one. That even they long to look into these things. And if they do, <laughs> I think I'd like to be on the side of the angels and do that with them. Huh? Um, it's like, I don't know if, I don't know if the angels are like, have the kind of omniscience or how, the, the level of their knowledge and understanding. You know, I don't know if they ever, do they have to go to school for this or, I don't we don't, we're not told these things, but my hunch was that they know more than we do. But they're still. And I'm pretty sure when I was eight, my grandpa knew more than I did. But he was still, and he was 78 years old. Yeah. Sorry, Jim. Well, I, I just, you said the, old, uh, the New Testament, so you think about all the times of the angels. Were they any different in the Old Testament? They did announcements, but then they were also warriors. Yeah. So in the Old Testament, it's, it's a little bit trickier. They're not, it's not as clear when you, when you see an angel. Because you have this, this character that shows up a lot in the Old Testament called the angel of the Lord. Um, and you don't, as often, I don't think, I, I mean, you have Isaiah, I'd have to look more across it to see, like, do we have, like, angels, like, announcing things. But you have an angel of the Lord appear to them. And sometimes that character seems a curiously like Jesus, the pre-incarnate Christ. Um, and so there's, and it may not be a, a, a created angel. And no, I'm not, I don't, not sure entirely. And I think I'll have to wait until heaven to find out exactly what was going on there. Like, like the angel, the archangel Michael. Um, that shows up in, is it Daniel? And, and then in Revelation, which is also kind of that type of literature, like Daniel, and like, who is this? Who is this guy? Um, you know, he fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought back, and but you know, he's overcome. Yeah. So it's a, it's it's not in the New Testament. It's fun to see at these particular times. It's not quite as um, it, they're they're there, but yeah, it's not quite as obvious that they're created angels serving Jesus and having that distinction. Yeah. Yeah, you mean the, like the prophets and, yeah. and such? Yeah, we, I'm not exactly sure how that comes to them exactly. It tells you about Isaiah in the vision, or it'll say, the word of the Lord came to me. Yeah. It's somehow, sometimes it's described as a dream, sometimes it's just the word of the Lord came. Yeah. All right, then I think we can, we can move on to 13 through 16. Um, I don't think we've read that, so let's read those verses, 13 through 16. 
Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. It's written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. All right. I'd like to think we'd get further than that, but that's as far as our sheet goes. So, um, first thing that we have is this word, therefore, which is always a conclusion that is based on something preceding, right? You, you, you said something, you said, therefore, and that's what's to follow. Um, what we want to think about, and I'm not sure that we can totally answer this question yet until we get into the section, but the question we want to think about is, what does the therefore, how is that based upon the previous sentence? Um, you know, so what he's going to say is, you know, therefore preparing your minds for action. So he's got this call to action, sober-mindedness. Uh, he talks about setting our hope on the, on the grace. And then also this thing about con- holy conduct. That's based on what he had been talking about before. And... Um, so then that makes us look back. Whenever you see it, therefore, you might be helpful to go check, check the se- section right before that and see what, what's the connection that he's drawing? Why does he use the word? Um, and so what we had been talking about was this searching here in this paragraph was about the, you know, the, the prophets and the angels searching and diligently uh, checking into the scriptures. Um, is it is the conclusion that since, yeah, since what? Since the angels and the prophets long to look into these things and search carefully, therefore this? Or does it go, have to go back further to the, maybe the, the hope that he's talking about that, that our life, that our, um, would you have to go back further, which is like to this, um, you know, to the beginning. You have been born again to a living hope. You have this, this thing that is to come, this fulfillment of the, that, of the future, that God, God's promise that he's going to fulfill to you. Um, I, I'm not entirely sure. It, it seems to me, especially these first next few words, inclines me to think that what he's concluding is this section on this searching, um, the kind of diligence that even the prophets put into this, in this preparing themselves for it to, to, be, to have, set their sites on this hope that we have, what did they do? Well, they, they, they searched. Because the, the next phrase there, um, it, in, um, in English, it's really kind of neutered there. Uh, preparing your minds for action, or, um, well, that's kind of what the NIV has too. Prepare your minds for action. This is, in Greek, gird your loins. It's actually gird the loins of your mind. Do you know what girding your loins is? So if you're in, in, in the, the typical dress of, of, of Bible times, you're wearing like a robe kind of thing, right? But that's not very easy to run in or to fight in, right? And so girding your loins is, um, and if you ever want to, you want to see like, an, uh, how to, you want to learn how to do this, uh, the website, The Art of Manliness, has a nice little infographic on how to gird your loins, just in case you ever need that. Um, but... It basically involves tucking up the, you know, the, the robes, tucking it up tie, in a certain way of tying it up so that you can then 
Right. And that's why they translate it. You know, so the, the Greek says, gird the loins of your minds. So <laughs> what does that mean? Um, it, it, so it's not talking about girding your actual loins like, like gathering up your robes. Um, but what um, is the, gird, the, the loins of your mind? So if girding your loins is done to prepare for battle, that's why they translate it, prepare your minds for action, right? Um, another commentator I read said it wasn't so much that, but it was about control. So when you're, when you're wearing the kind of free-flowing robe, it's kind of like the, it's, everything's all over the place. That when you gird the, the loins up, they're kind of where they belong. Yeah, they're like, like tiny control. And that, that connects them to this next word being sober-minded. That, it, that it's related to that kind of under, under control. But I, I, I think that the action idea is, is probably part of that. There's, there's something that we want to do, not with our bodies to fight or to run, but with our minds. So gird the loins of your minds, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. Um, sober-minded. Now, he just he basically uses the word for being sober, like not intoxicated, right? Um, but it's almost, the, the, the dictionaries show that it's in this time, biblical Greek, it's all, almost always used um, metaphorically, um, the, this term. And, um, and especially he had just been talking about, you know, girding the loids of your minds, then being uh, sober-minded. This word uh, here in Peter, he uses this three times. So here in chapter 1, he uses it. Uh, in chapter 4, the end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. And then in chapter 5, he does it again. Uh, 5 verse 8. This is the section, humble yourselves before under the mighty hand of God. It says, be casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Then it says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. It's that section. So it's the attitude that someone is, is going to have when there's a roaring lion coming. You need to be, what is the idea? It's being watchful, being ready. Um, so, you know, and th there's also that control bit. And I think that's... Um, in the picture there too, that you're ready for, for what needs to be done. Um, so therefore, preparing your mind for actions and being sober-minded. Do, do you think that relates to this previous section at all? As the prophets who carefully search the scriptures um, and the angels even look into this, that perhaps that suggest the way that we should go about this searching of the scriptures of our own too as a conclusion since they did it so you know we don't take this lightly um we're we're, we're we we attack it and we prepare ourselves to do that um but doing these two things preparing your minds for actions and being sober-minded it says set your hope fully fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Again, that goes back to the grace. In verse 2, no, not verse 2, verse 10, he talks about the grace 
The prophets prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. And so now he says, set your hope on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And again, we had this before too, the revelation of Jesus. Is this talking about his revelation at the end when we will finally see him? Or is this his revelation in grace to us now as he reveals himself in the, in the scriptures? I, I'm inclined to, to initially just say it's both. Um, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you. Um, this will be brought to you. Um, that looks future tense for us, but the Greek word there is just a present tense. The grace being brought to you. Um, so I don't know that we can exclude that and say, well, that's we're all focused on what is to come, that when Jesus finally appears, um, that's when we'll receive the grace. I think that is a continuous thing as Jesus is revealed to us finally and fully when he appears. But he gives us these, these glimpses of the very same grace um, through what we call the means of grace, right? Set your hope, and, and so our hope is our hope is in the future. But again, our hope is is a living hope, not not without anything that He is giving to us now. Verse fourteen: As obedient children, um, just we've had the word obedient already in this in First Peter, and I pointed out again that that obedient. Um, always has the word listen in it. So to, to hear is to obey. Um, so obedient children are, so it's not just like, you know, just don't be naughty. Be obedient. Listen. But it's, there, there it is. It's listen. Um, obedient children are those who listen. Uh, as obedient children, he says, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Um, the, the word conformed, do not be conformed to the, um, the, the, the Greek word is like, uh, uh, like a schematic. That's the, the root of it. Uh, a schematic, like a drawing that you might have. Um, that's the pattern for what you would then make from the schematic. So this conform is, is don't have your pattern set. By what? So we do have patterns. Right? We imitate things. Um, what are the patterns? What does he say? Not to pattern your life after. Not to be conformed to. He says not to the passions of your former ignorance. So this is one of those verses. Remember when we talked about who this letter was written to? And we, you know, is, it, is it Jews that converted to Christianity? Or was it Gentiles who converted to Christianity? Um, and it, it was probably both. But this is one of these verses that says um, he's probably hinting at, at former ignorance in for, for Gentiles, and they they were living their happy pagan life uh, before, just living it up, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Uh, and he says so. So he's saying your pattern should not be the former ignorance that you had before you knew Christ, right? Um, What, what about for us lifelong Christians? So we you know, maybe didn't have that. I mean, certainly we can all look and say, I had some former ignorance. 
<laughs> but not not in the way that I was, you know, previous to, you know, knowing about Christ. And I, you know, I've, you know, if someone's been raised in the church, grown up in the faith, um, it's not so much that. Um, yeah, we, we we can all look back and look at some former ignorance, like of our youth, or something like that. Um, but ignorance can take very many many shapes, and so do passions. So the question I put on the sheet was um, number six: How does how might our passions and ignorance become the patterns that shape our lives? Or we could simply ask: What are the patterns that shape our lives? We do have patterns. Do we recognize that there are patterns that shape our lives? Traditions. Traditions would be part of that, right? And a, a tradition means what? A tradition? Yeah, yeah. A tradition is something that's handed down, right? And so that, that would be a pattern. That would be a source of patterns. How we spend our time each day. Yeah. Yeah, um, and, and that also then, I think, when we come up to this, be, be holy in all your conduct, in all of the things that we do. I think also, um, there is some translation that uses the word conversation here. And I think that's an interesting, it's a different spin on it. In all your life and conversation. But also in the way that we speak. We have patterns of speech. Um, so do you notice when I, when I showed you my eight-year-old journal and... Um, do, you, do you catch what I called the meal that we ate after when we got back from church? Did you catch up what it was? Dinner, right? Um, and I thought that's interesting because later on in my, like, that normally that was lunch for the rest of my growing up. But at least while I was writing, uh, apparently, out at the farm, and I've noticed that in other places of the other, that was dinner. Yeah, there's dinner and then supper. Yeah, and then I move, you know, and so then for the, a large chunk of my, uh, my my life, no, it's lunch and dinner is 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 the evening, um, and then I move here, and now all of a sudden it's there's dinner, even though it's not quite the same as dinner I remember it. Uh, well, it is now at, at home, but um, just where do we, oh, and then 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 what happened, and which is which was I think was pretty typical me. Maybe I was on the tail end of it, but you notice what we did after after dinner. Then a couple hours later, we had company. Sunday afternoon, and I don't even know who it was. I probably when I was saying it, I didn't know who it was either. It was probably one of my grandpa's brothers. He had like there were ten boys in the family total, um, so it's one of his siblings, uh, probably. But who knows? <laughs> um, but we had company, and there's a there's a language, there's a pattern of language that you that you get from where you. That, that you're surrounded with. Um, do, we probably don't realize when we're being shaped. So for him to say, do not be conformed to the patterns of your former ignorance, you sometimes have to spell that out and see, like, are, are you shaped by the patterns set by, the, by you in your past? Or we might also be patterned by other things, and it sometimes doesn't take long. Let me give you an example of this. Um, the, the, a way of speaking, um, where, where, and I don't know how long it's been going on, but where people constantly say, I feel. I, I feel like 
I've, and, and they, they say that, but they don't really mean the word feel. They mean like think or assert or something like that, but they say, I, I, I feel like, and I don't know where that came from. And I don't, I don't know exactly how long it's been kind of in our vocabulary, but we have patterns of speech that we develop from, from, from people around us. Like I don't think, not even 10 years ago, I don't, I don't think you would hear that nearly as much. People would say, I, I think. Or I, I mean, I could be wrong, and I just am out in different circles. But I don't remember hearing that. But now, now that I've kind of my, I've trained my ears to listen for it, and I hear people say that all the time. Um, and, I, and it's not necessarily a wrong thing. I just want to... Is it really passive because it's a way for them to protect, protect themselves from a conversation of being attacked? Sure. You can't attack their feelings, but you can attack their thoughts. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so like it, it, it sort of kind of becomes this sort of, you know, use the passive, like, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm kind of unassailable if I say I feel this way, you know? Well, it's nice, it's nice to have feelings. I don't know, like, um, yeah, so it's not, I wouldn't, wouldn't call it a, a, a wrong thing, but, it, you know, it, it probably is not entirely what we mean, and but it's a softer way of saying it, maybe. Um, But you know, it also does, and I think it does reflect, there is some part of our culture that, um, that is shaped by their passions, which is, is similar to feelings. What, what I, how strongly I feel, brain supreme. And then those feelings shape my, my behavior. Um, we're, it's just very interesting to observe, and I try to. Try, I just like to be a, a student of human behavior, uh, and you know, just kind of observe people, not to, you know, you don't want to like criticize too quickly at least, but just to observe, and sometimes it's funny. I think it's a lot of times it's fun to just observe people and watch people. Um, where was that? Was, was you telling me about somewhere where all the girls had like basically two hairstyles? Where, where was that? Remember? Yeah, you don't want to say. Okay, it was somewhere, <laughs> and they, somewhere it was high schoolers, high schoolers, and all the girls basically had two different styles of hair. And just like you, we think that you know, like everyone wants to be an individual and you're going to express yourself, and we don't. <laughs> um, and we do things that, um, or and they don't take long for these things to happen. I mean, and you know, like, and it's not just in high schools that people follow the crowd or do the things that everyone else is doing. Like, I, I, and I'm just fascinated, I have no idea, I'm outside of the, the, the loop on this, but like, the, the golf carts, like in town here, and all of a sudden everyone's got a golf cart, and they're all over the place. And I, maybe, maybe I'm, and I'm not, <laughs> not like, like critical of it, it's just an interesting thing that all of a sudden, like, there, there, there weren't any before, and now there's a bunch. And I just, and they've been around before. <laughs> and so like people behave based on patterns that they've seen and that they've observed. So what is, what do we want to watch out for? Is that that pattern that of our behavior in life is not the passions or ignorance, that we don't just do things just because, well, either because we see other people doing it, or just because, you know, and like, I'll catch myself 
with talking and, and using phrases like, I, well, I feel, even when that's not exactly what I mean. Um, because that's, I'm, I'm being shaped by voices around me. I did not come up with that. I thought, oh, I thought that's a really great expression of way of expressing myself, is to say, is to say how I feel. When I don't mean how I feel, and what I mean is what I think or want to say. Um, right, I didn't come up with that on my own. How did I, how did I start to do that? Is, is the pattern. If yeah. you're around somebody long enough, and they're speaking like a southerner, you might start talking. Yep, yeah, we will. Yeah. Eventually, you start talking like the people around you. Yeah. Just accents. And so what we do, what, and, and which is, you know, some of them, you're, someone's in accent, like, there's no problem, you know, if, that's, if you, if you want to talk like someone else, you know, or you just need to fall into it, no, no, where, where we want to watch out for is where those patterns are, you know, like, what, what are those? And to be aware of them and don't simply I mean, it could be, be shaped by using God's name in vain. A lot of people like to do that. Yes. If you're around and you want, it could catch on. Yeah, yeah, it would be. Um, and ignorance can, can do that too. Um, sometimes we can be comfortable in our ignorance. Um, you know, I, it's someone, you know, it's kind of, kind of a, a, like a joke, but, you know, where, where Christians might want to say, you know, Jesus loves me, this, has, this I know, this is all I want to know. And that's not to denigrate the importance of Jesus loves me, right? <laughs> But where, where they say, well, I, no, don't bother me with any details. Don't bother me with learning any. And you see how that's contrary to the idea of like the prophets searching the scriptures or the angels, right? I, I don't, no, no, don't, don't, you know. I mean, I've heard people like, you know, like, you know, the, it might be in a church meeting or something like that. And, the, you know, the pastor will bring up a, a, a point, uh, like a theological point a consequence of some decision that you're going to make in some like you know program or something like that in church and you know and someone in the you know, one of the, the ladies would, pastor don't don't bother me with a, the theology I can't understand all that anyway what we need to do is this <laughs> you know and be like you know I, I'm, I'm not interested in learning anything I just think this <laughs> And, then, and allowing my ignorance then to just shape my and I, so I'm gonna be I'm, I'm I'm okay with the with not knowing anything. It's okay to not know everything. Sometimes. Like we don't have to know you know like we're not you're not a deficient Christian because you don't know. I don't know all the names of the kings of Israel and Judah in order or something like that. But I would say the attitude that is content with that and wants nothing more, to know nothing more than what they already know, um, could be dangerous too. Sorry. Well, sometimes people want to just not discuss very long. You know, just forget it. Sure, yeah. And they might say, otherwise get into a big they Might Might get into more than they bargained for, more than they want to. <laughs> Um, well, that relates then to the final question on the sheet. What, 
what is the proper pattern for the Christian life? And I, and I think there too, I, so the Christian life, but also just that, that's Paul. When he says, be holy in all your conduct, in all your doings, um, it's, it's the whole Christian life, our, con- our pattern of, of speech, our, our actions, our behavior, all of this. What is the pattern? What is, how does St. How does Peter say? You be holy. Why or how? What's the pattern? What's, what are you to conform, be conformed to? If not your passions, how you feel, and the stuff that you don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, just think about the things that we do and we don't know any, we have no idea why. And I don't care to. You know? Well, I, just, well, I just do it. You know? Um, that's not necessarily the, the best pattern. With a pattern for us, be holy. What? Since it is written... You be holy, for I am holy. Who is holy? It's a quote from the Old Testament. As God is holy. Um, what does holy mean? Set apart. Um, it's important just to remember that. I mean, it is it is holiness, and, and we always a lot of times our mind jumps to perfection, which is true. Um, but the, the the primary meaning there is being set apart. So when the angels cry out, "Holy, holy, holy," in, in Isaiah six. Holy, 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 Lord God of heaven and earth. His holiness is entirely his own, right? Which is why then Isaiah, who is not holy, he's not set apart like the Lord is because he has unclean lips. So sin keeps him, set, God set apart from him. Only through the, the altar, the forgiveness of sins, can he be with God. And for them to say, be holy as I am holy. How is it that we may be holy? as God is holy. Through Jesus. Um, This is not be holy as for I am holy, and you just keep trying to get holier and holier and holier. Um, That's, I guess we could say that's a goal, right? We should be, we should have improvement in in our moral, right? But that's, that's not how we become holy. You can't get there that way. You're never going to get there on your, by yourself. Right. And so how do we get there? Through Christ. Yeah, and he was certainly trying. Luther was trying to trying to do that, and there's probably plenty of people. And in ignorance, that's kind of the default, is that that's how I get into God's good graces or people's good graces. I get better, right? Um, so if you want to be holy as I am holy, then what would you do? It's not being nicer. It is to be clothed in Christ. To set your pattern as Christ, as he who called you is holy. Jesus is holy and he gives his holiness to us as as gift. But that does shape us then. As we are united with him, he does shape us. He does set a pattern for us. Um, he's going to talk about that. Um, in, um, uh, chapter 5, he's going to speak very similarly to this. Um, even as he suffered, so you suffer. Uh, be, uh, be shaped out after Jesus. Um, now, I know when I got a person that will use the praise of the Lord after every sentence, he said. 
<laughs> it can be useful, um, but that there, there you see you, someone in his language, you know, um, it's a reflective of, I have this on my mind, I have the word of God on my mind and on my lips and it'll come out. Um, we were watching Thanksgiving afternoon, we were watching a uh, great classic movie, Joe vs. the Volcano. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it's kind of a terrible movie, but it's really fun to watch. And uh, uh, Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan uh, are in this one of the, the early movies together. And they're about to jump into the volcano, and they just got married. And uh, or and and she says, her character says, "Whither thou goest, there go I." I don't know how it finished, which is a quote from the Book of Ruth, right? When uh, Naomi says to Ruth, "Where you go, I shall go." That's how NIV has it. Um, but you know, there in this mid '90s movie, the actresses quoting Ruth in King James, how does, I mean, I don't, I don't, you know, maybe that's the director having some, with that, you know, well, we just got married and we're going to jump into a volcano, whither thou goest. <laughs> um, patterns of speech that are learned from, you know, it's somewhere along the line, that, that line was a cultural known thing that they would put into a movie. Yeah? Um, and it probably, it's, it's somewhere, somewhere in the, in the, in the writer's, the, the writer's mind, that was a, a thing that someone might get. Certain things were tradition for that tribal whatever. You know, to sacrifice people. Well, right, I mean, the... the, the but the, you know, so there's a, a biblical um, reference in the middle of a totally, you know, has nothing to do with <laughs> Christianity movie, and you know, it's like these, you know, these uh, native people that live on this island that love orange soda. Um, <laughs> um, we do, do if if we were to search the scriptures. I think the scriptures, the words of the scriptures would leak out of us. They would spill over. Um, you know, like someone, you know, maybe that's the same thing, maybe it's some, um, someone who, who adds praise the Lord regularly. Or you have the language of, of scripture that sort of, or it just, it's just kind of there. And it will, it has its way of working out um, of us, or just coming out in, in conversation. Um, it could be phrases like that. Uh, you know, so, you know, I saw this growing up when we would be, you know, out working and you'd have some, you know, like the, you know, the story in the Old Testament where the, the axe head floats, the guy who's cutting wood and the axe falls into the water and, uh, and the prophet has, gets, gets the axe head to float. Like I, 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 I actively the first time I ever heard of that being a thing in the Bible was from my grandfather. Because he read it that morning he was talking about it. You know, and it just kind of comes up. It wasn't part of our conversation. It just, he just said it. Or he, um, we were looking at, just sitting there, just sitting there, and he, um, 
just observing the, the, how the corn was that year. And then he gets talking about the famine in Egypt in Genesis. This was a time when things didn't grow. And then he kind of started, went into like his time through the 30s and when a lot of things didn't grow very much. Um, but then he was like, oh, there, was, there was a time Jacob went, you know, like, because it was. So, if we were to diligently script, search the scriptures, guess what might shape us? And our language and our life. I, th I think it would. Um, I made the case, I, I think this is true. You know, sometimes we complain about, uh, and, and I think rightly so, um, frustration with uh, translations changing, whether that's hymns or Bible translations or um, catechisms, right? Here's my theory, is that this would not, this wouldn't be a thing if our conversation and our language was shaped by the Bible. Because the reason that languages, that, that Bibles update, is because the language changes. Um, and guess, guess what it's being patterned after. You don't read I feel in the, in the scriptures. Our, the shift in language happens because be, they have a different model for, for how people speak. Um, that was different. Um, so in Germany, following Luther's translation of the Bible into German, Luther's Bible pretty much solidified German, high German, for a long time, um, including things like spelling. Like spelling was kind of all over the map, but once it was in the Bible, and in, in Luther's Bible translation did that to some degree. Um, so. If you're frustrated, ever frustrated, with you know, language updating and changing, like if we learn how to speak, or if we learn, say, our catechism first from our parents in the translation that they used, you wouldn't need a new one. Because that would be good enough. If we if our if we gleaned our our what patterns of speech from the scriptures. They wouldn't, they wouldn't make enough money selling new translations because we, the language would have conformed to the scriptures instead of having them to update the, the translation of the Bible to conform to the, the language changing. That's kind of a theory of mine. Um, so I, I, I'm not going to... You could challenge me on it. Um, or we could, we could test it. But I think that... I, mean, I don't know how we test it. Other than... Other than an encouragement for us to make the language of the scriptures our language, instead of making the Bible fit into our language, that would be nice. Shall we close with our hymn, "Praise to Thee in Adoration"?